So Daniel chapter 4, I will again read the whole chapter. Please give your attention to God's holy inspired and inerrant word as it is read. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, and how many mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which had made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you, Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives to it whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest, lowest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. Then Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. 
It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you, but after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12, of, uh, at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. <clears throat> I could just finish there, right? <laughs> Say, be blessed, go in peace. No, <laughs> you're not getting off that easy. There's a weird phenomenon that I've observed in people, myself included, which is our tendency sort of to cheer on the failure of successful people. 
Okay? When someone gets a little too big for their britches, we kind of want them to get knocked down a peg. We see it in the socio-political sphere. Uh, you see, even nowadays, people raging against individuals like Jeff Bezos of Amazon or Elon Musk of Tesla. They're too rich. They need to pay their fair share. We need to knock them down a peg. Or we see it in the sphere of pop culture with actors or musical artists when they seem to dominate the industry and award ceremonies over and over again. Or, perhaps more in what I like to watch, uh, we see it especially in the world of sports, right? As many, how many people here love to see Tom Brady fail? The guy who's won seven championships out of ten times in the Super Bowl. We love it when Tom Brady fails. Or the Golden State Warriors as they're dominating basketball now. We love it when they get knocked down a peg. Apparently, we just don't like it when people get too successful, when they get a little too big for their britches. Well, whether or not our envy of successful people is justified, it is a biblical principle that says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 18. And our God is a God, as we see not only there in Proverbs, but also in this passage this morning, our God is a God who humbles the proud, and exalts the humble. That is a principle you see all throughout Scripture. And that's what we see in our text this morning. God is going to humble the haughty spirit of King Nebuchadnezzar. Not because he was successful, but because he took God's glory for himself. He took praise and honor that belongs only to God and applied it to himself. Thus, God is going to knock him down a peg as well. So as we look at this passage here this morning, we're going to see that God is sovereign over all. Another theme that is commonly expressed through the book of Daniel. And he exalts the humble and humbles the proud. So God is sovereign over all. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. Well, as we begin here, notice if you are looking at the bulletin, Insert the outline there. I've got five points. Normally it's three points. Five points. You're getting two bonus points today. And does that mean the sermon goes 40% longer? I don't know. We'll see. You can tell me how it goes at the end. But if you look at this chapter, particularly if you have a New King James Version, the chapter is sort of like formatted differently in your Bibles. I don't know if it's that way in the ESV, but certainly in the New King James Version, it's kind of bracketed off a little bit. And it's written sort of like a letter. It's a letter. In fact, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He is sort of proclaiming to all who will hear his voice, to all who will read this proclamation, all of the things that the Most High God has worked for him. And he's reflecting on these things. And notice how King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 3, confesses the greatness of God. How great are his signs. And how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion from generation to generation. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to make a similar confession at the end of this letter. Thus bracketing this entire story of Nebuchadnezzar's sort of humiliation with praise and adoration for the work that God has done in his life. And it's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll see, thought that his kingdom was an everlasting kingdom. Thought that his dominion was over all the earth. And he's about to get a bit of a reality check this morning. 
So after this introduction, Nebuchadnezzar then gets to the situation that prompted this letter in verses 4 through 9, where we see that Nebuchadnezzar was resting at ease in his house and flourishing in his palace. He's just sort of laying back and he's sort of enjoying all of the benefits of his reign and rule. He was at the height of his power and Babylon was at the peak of its influence and might. It is believed that this event occurred probably near the end of Nebuchadnezzar's 43-year reign as king and emperor over this empire. After most of his conquests have been, have been accomplished, after most of his building projects have been completed, But as it is, as the king is sitting here at ease in Babylon, he receives a troubling dream. He gets another one of these dreams. I don't know if he's only had the two dreams that we see in Scripture, but here he receives another troubling dream. So, he calls all the wise men again, as he did in chapter 2. Remember, he had the dream of the statue. He calls all the wise men in and says, I need you to help me interpret this dream. Now, unlike the last time in chapter 2 where he told him, you need to tell me the dream and its interpretation, here he's like, look, I'll tell you the dream. Just tell me what it means, okay? I'm going to tell you the dream and tell me what it means. But again, just like last time, all the king's wise men, all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't interpret the dream again. I just kind of made that up on the spot. It kind of flowed, but... The king's wise men could not interpret this dream. Just like last time, the king's wise men could not interpret this dream. And the reason why they could not interpret this dream is because this dream was given by the Most High God. It was divinely revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. And again, another thing that we see in the book of Daniel is that the the wisdom of the world, the philosophy of the wise men here, the works of the, of the Babylonians are not able to decipher the dream that is given by God. So these wise men could not and would not be able to interpret this dream using their worldly means or philosophy. So Daniel goes, or Nebuchadnezzar goes to Daniel to save the day. I'm not sure why he didn't go to him first. I mean, in chapter 2, after he realized that Daniel could interpret the dream, I would have gone to Daniel first. But Nebuchadnezzar goes to his wise men. Then he goes to Daniel. And we see in verse 9, he says to Daniel, Belteshazzar, chief of the... Again, why doesn't he go to Daniel? He's the chief of the wise men. Chief of the magicians. Because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. So Daniel has proven reliable in the past. He's been proven to be a loyal subject to the king. And uh, here he is put on the spot to interpret the dream because Daniel has demonstrated in the past that the spirit of the holy God is in him and is indeed able to work through him. So now we see the king's dream in verses 10 through 18. The, king, the dream that the king has is of this enormous tree that sort of fills the earth and reaches to the heavens as we read again in verses uh, 10 through 12 of chapter 4. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, 
and all flesh was fed from it. So not only could this tree be seen across the entire world, and all kinds of creatures are sheltered by this tree and fed by this tree, it also gave forth abundant and luscious fruit that fed everything. Everything was under the care of this tree. Everything was under the dominion of this tree. Now, if that were the entire dream, there would be no problem. (laughs) But then Nebuchadnezzar now sees this vision of a watcher coming down from heaven in verses 13 through 18. Now, this watcher seems to clearly be an angel, for it is described as a holy one coming down from heaven. So this watcher or this angel then commands that this great and mighty tree, this luscious tree that is providing shelter for all the creatures and food for all the animals, that this tree be cut down, that this tree's branches be removed, that this tree's leaves be stripped off of the branches, and that this tree's fruit be scattered. But the watcher also says, but preserve the stump of the tree. Protect the stump of the tree. Destroy the tree, but protect its stump. Now notice in the middle of verse 15 and going on into verse 16 how the dream seems to transition from a tree to a person. Right as we see him. Note the the use of the word him there. Uh, Let it be wet with the dew. Let him graze with the beasts. Let his heart be changed. Let him be given the heart of a beast. And so on and so forth. So the angel here is hinting at the very fact that this tree is really a person. And this person will be completely humiliated, will be brought down for a period of seven times, which most commentators believe is a reference to just seven years. But again, that number seven in biblical speak is the number of completion, the number of perfection, until the time of Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation is fulfilled, is complete. And the reason for all this is given in verse 17. As Daniel, or as the dream says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. Now in our first sermon in Daniel as we were going through the introduction, I kind of highlighted this verse as sort of a theme verse for the book of Daniel. This this idea that God rules over all the kingdoms of men. That God sets up kings. That God takes down kings. That God raises nations. That God brings down nations. That God is the one who is sovereign. Not Nebuchadnezzar. None of the kings of the earth. Again, recall back to Daniel chapter 1, the first few verses where we see that the, the kingdom of Judah and the king Jehoiakim was given over to Nebuchadnezzar by God. God gave them over. Nebuchadnezzar would have no victory if it wasn't for the fact that God gave Neb- uh, Judah and Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So God rules the kingdoms of men. Not Nebuchadnezzar. Not, he is not sovereign. God sets him up and brings him down. Now again, this just to bring a little bit of application at this point, if you think about it, you know, we're in the world now, the 21st century United States, and most of us, I don't know, may not like our current administration who is currently governing. Or maybe you didn't like the last administration that was currently governing. Or maybe you don't like 
the way how the government has gotten so big. Whatever the case may be, we have to understand, right? God is sovereign. He's raising up kings and raising up nations. He brings them down. The United States is not a sort of a city set on a hill like some thought. The United States is just one of many nations which are a drop in the bucket. And these nations that are, in a sense, hostile toward the people of God, hostile toward God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the application here is that it is God who is in control. We may be undergoing persecution, maybe not as severe as it is now, but there are places in this world where there is persecution going on, where the people of God are severely persecuted, where they are hunted down and arrested and maybe perhaps even killed for their faith. God raises these nations up. God takes these nations down. God is sovereign. That is the God in whom we rest. So whatever is going on in this world, we have to understand that God is control behind it all. And here Nebuchadnezzar has related the dream to Daniel and now awaits Daniel's interpretation, which we'll see here now in verses 19 through 27. Now after hearing the dream from King Nebuchadnezzar, we see that Daniel was astonished for a time in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. So as the dream is told to Daniel, apparently he receives the interpretation almost immediately. And because of that, it troubled him. It troubled him. So Nebuchadnezzar has to encourage him and says, Daniel, tell me the dream. Don't worry about it. Don't let it trouble you. So he begins by telling Nebuchadnezzar that he wishes that the dream apply to his enemies, that the dream apply to the king's enemies. Now we've noted this before in other places, but notice how Daniel here shows respect to Nebuchadnezzar how he shows loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar, how he doesn't want this dream to actually fall on Nebuchadnezzar. He says, may this happen to those who hate you. May this happen to your enemies. Now, Daniel would never and has never compromised his faith, but that didn't stop him from being loyal and respectful towards King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel then finally gives the interpretation of the dream to him, and he says, the tree that you saw... It is you, O king. Kind of sounds like when Nathan goes before uh, David and he tells him the little parable about how the guy who has all the sheep stole this one little sheep from another guy. And David is like, well, that guy ought to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And Nathan says, well, that man is you, O king. Well, here Daniel says, the tree that you saw is you, O king, in verses 20 through 22. And everything in the early part of that dream regarding the beauty and the grandeur of the tree represents the beauty and the grandeur of Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. And as with Nebuchadnezzar's previous dream, the Babylonian empire was the first and it was the best of the coming kingdoms of the earth. Remember in the, the, the dream in chapter 2 where he has this dream of the statue, the head of gold, the finest metal was Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the head of gold is you, O Nebuchadnezzar. So the the Babylonian Empire was the first and the best of the coming kingdoms that would come onto the earth. 
And Nebuchadnezzar and his empire had grown large and had grown strong. And Nebuchadnezzar was the undisputed ruler of the known world at that time. Yet despite the might and the grandeur of Nebuchadnezzar and of the Babylonian Empire, the Most High God is going to show Nebuchadnezzar who the real king is. Verses 23 through 25, as everything in the dream about the cutting down of the tree, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that this is the decree of the Most High God. He has decreed this will happen to you. He has decreed your humiliation, O Nebuchadnezzar, and what a humiliation it will be. We learn from the dream and Daniel's interpretation of it that Nebuchadnezzar will be driven from men. He will find his dwelling with the beasts of the field. He will eat grass like oxen. He will be wet with the dew of heaven. In fact, as we see here also, he has, his hair grows like eagle's feathers and his nails like birth. It's kind of like he goes into full Howard Hughes mode in this dream as he kind of becomes crazy or loses his mind completely. As one source says, Daniel explains how Nebuchadnezzar's mind will fail and that he will be deprived of his throne, and he will lose his dignity as a human being created to rule animals and not imitate them. Now the purpose of all this for Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation will be so that he knows, that he will know in a very real way, right? In the real way that you can only know through experiencing something like this, not just being told, that the most high rules the kingdoms of men. But there's a glimmer of hope in the last part of that dream in verses 26 through 27. The stump and the roots of that tree are preserved, which indicates that while Nebuchadnezzar will be humbled, his kingdom will be preserved and restored to him after that period of time, that period of seven times or seven rules. This madness that Daniel predicts is temporary until Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that heaven rules. Now, after he gives him the interpretation, Daniel implores and urges the king to repent. Since he's saying, like, O king, why go through this madness? Why, why be humiliated? Acknowledge the Most High is sovereign now. Repent of your sins. Do works of mercy and show forth justice. And these, this, will, this will pass you by. Now, this is, I think, the most amazing thing about God. Right? He is the Most High. He is the Sovereign. He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who breathes into us the breath of life. Yet for all of this, God is merciful. He is merciful. He will relent of judgment if we but repent of our sins and turn to Him for forgiveness. It's the story of the book of Jonah, right? Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. You know, it's like the shortest sermon recorded in, in, in the Bible where Jonah goes, you know, the reluctant prophet goes and says, in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. And what happens? The entire city repents. And God then relents from the judgment that He was going to show to them. God is merciful. And He forgives us not by forgetting our sins, He doesn't choose to ignore our sins. What God does is he forgives us by putting those sins on the shoulders of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. God's justice and mercy, they meet, they intersect at the cross of Christ. And King Nebuchadnezzar could tap into that mercy now by willingly bowing the knee 
to the Most High God. Sadly, though, that's not what he does, right? You know, you raise your kids, you try to tell them the right thing to do, and so oftentimes they don't do the thing you want them to do, and, and then they, learn, they have to learn the hard way. They have to learn the hard lessons of life. They don't listen to you, and then they have to learn the hard way. And we look here at verse 29, we see it that at the end of 12 months. Now that's what I think is also amazing. 12 months, a whole year goes by. He has this dream. A whole year goes by. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a whole year to humble himself, to repent of his sin. How, what mercy, what kindness is shown to this pagan king? Right? The Apostle Paul says in Romans 2, chapter 2, verse 4, that the kindness and the mercy of God is meant to lead one to repentance. God is long-suffering, but his patience will not last forever. Now, apparently during this whole year of long-suffering of God, King Nebuchadnezzar either forgot the dream or probably what I think is more, he just assumed that after a whole year, the dream wasn't going to come true, that it was just a dream. Either way, it's a bad plan. This is a bad plan on Nebuchadnezzar's part. Because look at verse 30. As the king here is at ease in his palace, he says... Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Now, in a way, Nebuchadnezzar's not entirely 100% wrong, right? The beauty and the splendor of ancient Babylon, including the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was due to Nebuchadnezzar and his many building projects. But, if Nebuchadnezzar thinks that, this was, that he was able to do anything without God's help, he was very, very wrong. Babylon was not built by Nebuchadnezzar's mighty power, nor was it for the honor of his majesty. And by refusing to honor and glorify God with his, with his words, God is going to humble him. Instead of worshiping the Creator, Nebuchadnezzar is worshiping the creation. And in a sense, he is heaping up God's wrath and judgment. And then as we see here, it was in the process of uttering this arrogant boast that he hears a word, a voice from heaven in verse 31. I like this here. While the word was still in the king's mouth. It's very, you know, if you like to read, you know, like newspaper comic strips, you know, the people talk with little word balloons. It's sort of like as the word balloon is just leaving Nebuchadnezzar's mouth as he says this arrogant boast, that's when God's voice comes down from heaven. God will bring judgment upon Nebuchadnezzar. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And everything King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream came true. As Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind, he's driven into the wilderness and becomes like an animal. In fact, verse 33 says this happened at that very hour. That very hour, the minute that arrogant boast left his mouth, that very hour, the judgment came upon him. God does not fool around. He gave Nebuchadnezzar a year to repent, but then all of a sudden, boom, judgment comes upon him. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. But finally, in verses 34 to 37, just like God revealed in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation was for a specified period of time. Look, please, at verses 34 through 37. 
And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles res- uh, resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. God's purpose for Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation was for his glory. God humbled Nebuchadnezzar so that Nebuchadnezzar would then glorify God. Nebuchadnezzar blesses, he praises and honors the Most High. Now there's a debate within some of the commentators and scholars on this that was Nebuchadnezzar's repentance genuine? Did Nebuchadnezzar become a believer in God Almighty? Is he saved? And I would love to give you a very definite answer, but I can't because the truth of the matter is we just don't know. Only God can answer that. But I'll give you my speculation for what it's worth. I have a hard time believing that King Nebuchadnezzar would bless, praise, honor, and extol God if he weren't genuinely saved. Put it another way, what gives God greater glory? Humbling a pagan king? Or humbling a pagan king so that he becomes, he comes to bless and praise and honor and extol you? Again, my gut says, for what it's worth, that King Nebuchadnezzar genuinely was saved. Now, this is an impressive story, both of the mercy and justice of God and an illustration of the principle that God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. But what is our takeaway from this this morning? And again, the series that we're going through in Daniel, I've titled Faith Enduring Through Adversity. So how does this story fit into that overall sort of theme or umbrella? Well, again, as I said earlier, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And the people of God have witnessed them all. They've been there for all of this. And no matter how strong or how powerful or how evil or how tyrannical a kingdom becomes, God can and often does humble it. Perfect example. We use this in Sunday school a little bit, right? The Nazi Reich, the Third Reich, was supposed to last for how long? It was supposed to be a thousand-year Reich. They were so arrogant. And how long did it actually last? Like maybe six or seven years before it was brought down? God is able to bring down and humble a nation no matter how much it exalts itself, no matter how powerful it thinks it is, no matter how strong or tyrannical it actually is. Same thing with world leaders. No matter how arrogant and puffed up world leaders become, God can and often does humble them. Another example. Think of Saddam Hussein. How arrogant and how puffed up he was. Where did he die? He died in a little rat hole somewhere in the the Iraqi desert. The whole world right now, it seems, is rejecting God, rejecting His Christ, persecuting His people, but this too is from the hand of God and will serve to glorify Him 
and bring him honor. And again, moreover, God knows how to protect his people. We saw this last week. If we belong to God, then what can the fiery furnaces of the world do? Right? If we belong to God, what can the fiery furnaces of the world do? But we mustn't lose sight of the theme of this passage. God is sovereign over all. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. And he did so with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he'll do so with all worldly leaders who refuse to acknowledge him and give him glory. But what about us? Right? It's easy to say, yeah, go get Nebuchadnezzar, God, bring him down. But what about us? Do we harbor pride or arrogance in our own hearts? Do we boast of our own achievements and accomplishments? If so, then we too need to repent. If God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, he's certainly going to humble us, his people, who, who at least purport to follow him. Again, I'm drawn to the example of the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul who had plenty of reasons and plenty of ways that he could boast of his accomplishments. Look at everything the Apostle Paul had done in his ministry. All the churches he started, all the converts he saw, all the letters that he wrote that are included into the Bible. Yet Paul, or God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, to keep him from boasting, to keep him dependent upon God for his strength. Paul knew that. I mean, Paul didn't boast. But Paul knew that that thorn in the flesh was to keep him humble before God. Now, what's the cure for pride? The cure for pride is the gospel. It is the cure for all of our spiritual ailments. But sometimes, like Nebuchadnezzar, right, we have to hit rock bottom. <laughs> you have to hit rock bottom before you can bounce back up. And like Nebuchadnezzar, before our hearts are softened up enough to repent and believe the gospel, we need to be hit over the head with the two-by-four of reality. And like, uh, like Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, I implore you, if you are not a believer, don't wait to repent. Don't wait a year. Don't wait a, a minute. Do so now while it is still now. Again, we saw earlier that God's kindness and forbearance is not a sign that he has forgotten your sin. It is a sign that he is storing up wrath for the day of wrath. Nebuchadnezzar went a whole year before facing the music. Some of us may even wait longer. But as the author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is a day of grace. It is the day of Jesus Christ who died to atone for the sins of his people, and was raised for their justification. And now Jesus Christ calls all men everywhere to repent. And for the rest of us who have already trusted in Christ alone for our salvation, then the call for us is to rest secure in our sovereign God who is sovereign over all. Whatever is going on in the world around us is not catching God off guard. He is not surprised by what's going on in the world around us. And if God protected his people in a hostile pagan nation in 6th century B.C., he will certainly protect his people in a hostile pagan nation here in the 21st century A.D. It's the same God that we worship. So don't lose heart over what's going on in the world. Don't lose heart with what you see on CNN or Fox News. Don't let that get you down. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls. Because he is the one who overcame the world and we are overcomers through him. 
So humble yourselves before Jesus and he will exalt you. Let's pray.